0: There was thunder in the air on the night I went to the deserted mansion atop Tempest Mountain to find the lurking fear. I was not alone, for foolhardiness was not then mixed with that love of the grotesque and the terrible, which has made my career a series of quests for strange horrors in literature and in life. Perhaps he could have found some of those strange horrors by looking at what some filmmakers have done to the works of H.P. Lovecraft. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide to the world of cinematic Lovecraft adaptations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I'm Jim Rohner.
1: And I'm James McCormick.
0: And today we'll be reviewing 1995's Lurking Fear, written and directed by C. Courtney Joyner, adapting Lovecraft's story The Lurking Fear. And if the name of uh, C. Courtney Joyner sounds familiar to you, then uh, perhaps it's because you're familiar with some of his recent directorial work. Uh, Bunker of Blood 5, colon Psycho Sideshow, colon Demon Freaks. Um, Bunker of Blood 6, colon Zombie Lust, colon Night flesh. Um, or you've marveled at his uh, script for Puppet Master versus Demon Toys. Or maybe you're just like James and have actually seen the movie Class of 1999, the sequel to the can't-exploitation Classic, uh, Class of 1984.
1: Yes. I, come on. That, that's an amazing film that you still need to watch. Um, he also wrote the uh, script for Prison, the uh, horror, weird like, ghost movie with a very young Viggo Mortensen um Basically, he looks like James Dean. He's, like, beautiful in it. But it's, like, it's a fun movie. And Kane Hodder plays, like, the big baddie in it. It's a fun movie. But, yeah, C. Courtney Joyner, I'm not really familiar with him as much as a director. Um, <laughs> and we'll, 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 we'll get into that part soon. <laughs> um, but we, we teased on Facebook,
0: of course, before we get into the discussion of Lurking Fear and its adaptation, some news. We haven't touched on a news item for a while, and so something... right came up that, uh, James and, and some other people on Twitter edified me, but, but I, I logged onto Twitter and saw a bunch of people from horror Twitter specifically complaining about a certain director who was outside of the horror community complaining about the horror community and yet had made a horror film. And, and, and so it seemed like the the tone was people were upset with whoever this was had sort of a holier than thou kind of, uh, comment. And, and I, <laughs> I was like, who is everyone talking about? And, and I think it was James who said, oh, his name rhymes with Bay Jerushel." <laughs> <laughs> um, but so that, that for me, so Jay Baruchel, um writer, director, actor, um, has made a movie called uh, Random Acts of Violence. And apparently, um, I believe this is the statement. And, and bear with me, it's kind of long, but I want to read it because you kind of have to understand the thoughts behind Well, or I guess what his thoughts were before you can truly kind of understand the controversy, I guess. So he said, The sad truth is that horror has turned stagnant, a warehouse for outdated ideas and misogyny apologists. A lot of these ills have been here for a while. Some are new trends. Either way, the vast majority of horror flicks feature characters nobody cares about in cynically engineered circumstances that fetishize cruelty. This is incorrect morally as well as antithetical to the very essence of what a horror film is meant to feel like. Above all, a horror film should be scary. It sounds simple enough, and yet when one watches the majority of contemporary horror flicks, so few of them are actually scary. They may be shocking and inspire momentary car crash awe, but the fact is, if an audience member laughs or shares a sort of holy shit moment with the person next to them, they may be excited, but they are not scared. Random Acts of Violence seeks to cure this. And... From what I understand, and James and I were talking a little bit about this, yeah. it seems like... Because here's the thing. When I saw that, I actually mostly agree with what he's saying. I don't know if that's controversial, but I kind of do. Uh, but it, it seemed like... And even there's been some support on horror Twitter about he's making valid points. But what seemed to upset everyone was that here's a guy who is outside of the horror uh, you know, community. Jay Bucher was obviously an actor who, who, who rose to prominence in... You know Judd Apatow movies and that kind of stuff, and has and has made his own kind of little career. He he wrote and directed a, a, a hockey comedy called Goon a few years ago with uh, Sean William Scott. Did we decide that's what his name is? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but and so it, it seems like the the crux of people's disappointment or rage is that not that what there's no truth in what he said, but that he's an outsider to the horror community, kind of critiquing the horror community and saying. I'm the one that has solved this problem. That's that's what it seems like is the problem for, in my, from my
1: perspective. Kind of. And before we go into like the, not logistics, but of like maybe like the truth behind some of that, also the problem I have with some of that, mm-hmm. he tweeted out, someone actually tweeted at him, I don't know, some stupid nonsense like, oh, I was about to interview you, but I'm, I don't know, it was basically someone saying they were hurt by the statement, but then jay actually said indeed this quote is from a director's statement i typed up i typed up years ago i was just trying to sell the sizzle and hype of my flick to some potential investors it's wanky nonsense it was never meant to be public and i'm a tad embarrassed i would also do it again in a heartbeat <laughs> so it's basically a non-apology which i kind of appreciate that he's like yeah you know it's kind of like pretentious kind of wanky kind of like whatever but i still agree with it mm-hmm I kind of appreciate it. He didn't. He didn't backtrack. He didn't say, "No, I didn't mean it like that." Or like, "Oh, I was younger when I wrote that. I wrote that five years ago when I was." But now I've watched more horror films and I've seen maybe that was a little, little off, little too much off the rip. But no. But he's still behind it, and I agree with parts of it. Like, but at the same time, the whole idea of people laughing or like, going, holy shit," and stuff. As a horror fan myself and, you know, recently rewatching the Insidious films with my girlfriend Mm -hmm. and those, you know, they're jump scare central, but they have some creepiness to them, too. At least, you know, the first two like have some like especially that first one with that that devil like Darth Maul looking ghost (laughs) right behind Patrick Wilson. Yep. Um, that's still one of the scariest, like, stills. I'll, I'll, I will i i do not care what anyone says. That's still, like, something that I go, holy shit. Okay, mm-hmm. that got me. But everyone has a different way to, um, show their fear. Some people laugh.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, you know, like, I, I mean, how many, I don't know if you've ever, Jim, have you ever been to, like, a haunted house? Or, oh, yeah. Or, like, you know, like, like, I'm talking about, like, a, like, legit, ha- like, people, like, actually jumping at you. Oh, yeah, and, no, like, I love them. Yeah. Do you laugh sometimes when that happens? When someone comes out, you go, oh, oh, oh shit, okay. All the time, all the time. Okay, it because it's a way your adrenaline's rushing. You're like, and the same thing with like, holy shit. I've had moments like that when I'm watching, like the, when I saw The Conjuring in theaters and like there's, there's one moment when something moves and I just, in my head, I didn't say it out loud because I didn't want to be rude or whatever. But then all of a sudden everyone started doing like, oh shit, like mm-hmm. what the fu-? you know, like we all have different ways to show this fear. Like it's not always just like, you know, gripping onto the side of a chair or just gasping or just like holding holding your breath. So that kind of part of the statement's kind of a little weird to mm-hmm. me. Like it's like it's almost like belittling other people's ways of feeling of, of fear. But at the same time I understand where he's coming from, saying that it's almost like a factory of sorts. But that's if you if you look at all of you know filmmaking or Hollywood, you could say the same thing. Yeah. you could say the same thing about every genre that there is a formula and what comes out, what sells best. But every so often, you know, you'll get some films that are doing something similar, but get a little out you know out the box like something like you know hereditary something like the babadook something you know you might not even and a film that i'm not even that uh, like i'm not really a fan of at all but like it follows like Mm -hmm. take taking horror and a lot of times it's from directors that necessarily at first you know either brand new directors or in the case of it follows i know that director really didn't want to be typecast as a horror director Right. And I kind of insulted people and stuff, you know, oh how they look. They're all filmmakers. Like, if they only make horror films, they're still a filmmaker. They're not a just a horror filmmaker. Like like, you know, certain filmmakers, they didn't want to only just be scared my you know, like someone like George Romero. He got typecast as the zombie guy, but he did more than freaking zombie films. Same thing with West Craven, yeah, yeah, like a film that nobody remembers, "Music of My Heart," mm-hmm. is a is a fantastic film, but you wouldn't know. Oh wait, that's uh, that's West Craven. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I kind of like you know, I understand where Jay, you know Jay's coming from. He, I, I, you know, you could tell he's a horror fan. I, I, you know, this, I've seen him in interviews. I've and and you know him doing other stuff. He's he's talked about it, and you could tell he likes certain things. But I've I've heard from people that have seen his film random acts of violence that a lot of the stuff he's talking about is in that film though. Like it's, it's kind of like <laughs> going through the tropes and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing. Like if he went completely outside the box and made something completely original, but there's nothing, there's no such thing as completely original anymore. Like everything <laughs> yeah. is like, what is it? Um, how many stories are there? Six stories that you could make something like and that. This, yeah. And you know, and there's variations of it and mm-hmm. you could branch out. But I mean, you know, if I look, I, I, you know, being a horror fan myself too, there's not much that scares me. You know what I mean? Like, there's not much that like, like, the, like, like 90 minutes or two hours that at the whole time, I'm just like, oh my God, like, what the hell am I watching? But, mm-hmm. but that's kind of what I love about horror. There's, there's different, different types of horror films. There's some that are just like, you know, fun rides. There's some that are, you know, have like the jump scares, some that are just dread, like you. Know, the whole time you're just dreading the next scene because you're like, where is this going? Like, And it's a different type of fear, but to kind of like pigeonhole it as just, oh, horror itself is just stagnant and stuff. I don't think it's horror. I think a lot of times it's a lot of filmmakers that are stagnant or they're just, you know, they, you can't always blame the screenwriter because I mean, we know from, from, you know, from people that have told us, like I know from myself and you you probably too, a lot of times a screenwriter will write a script and then that's it. Mm-hmm. They have nothing else to do with it. Yeah. So the, the script could be the scariest shit you've ever read. Once the director, the producers, you can't even blame the director because then the editor could change all that. Like <laughs> there's, there's all these different levels. So it's like, let say horror is stagnant. No, I mean, a lot of times it's the marketing that's stagnant or... The just the producers themselves that just want cookie cutter. Oh, you know what? <clears throat> Take out that weird subplot that's like about this, but put more jump scares in there. And then you could tell which ones are the films that, like, you could tell James Wan, for example, he loves to do jump scares. Like, it's something that he loves to create in his films. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? As opposed to some films you're watching, you go, you're just waiting for, like, the, the stereotypical, like, cat jump scare, like a cat jumping up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. And, like, you're like, but the really good filmmakers would, especially when I'm going to the jump scares for some reason, but the really good filmmakers will, like, time it perfectly. And you think it's coming, and then it's like, oh, it's nothing. Oh, okay. And you, you kind of, like, relieve yourself, like, a little, not relieve yourself, That that's after the jump scare. <laughs> but you feel a sense of relief, and you're like, okay, I'm good. And then... It's coming again. It's like it's almost like the jaws theme, like dun dun dun. and you're like, oh my god, is it coming? Okay, it didn't happen again. And then all of a sudden it hits you, and you're like, holy shit, like you got me. And I appreciate that with a film. If you can get me still in my old age of forty, I will I will applaud you, even if it's not like the best film ever. Yeah. I will say, hey, you scared me for a moment, and not much can do that. But I still. Horror is still my genre of choice, no matter what. Even if it doesn't scare me, I like. I'll find mostly stuff to love and everything. Not always, but mm-hmm. but I'm more of a trashy guy, so I I like trashy. Sometimes the the cheapest looking like rubber monster, like give me that, I'll love it too. I'm not gonna push that aside just because. Oh well, you know it's it's a ripoff of like an alien alien. Okay, that's fine. Give me that too, you know. I'm I'm, I'm an equal opportunity lover of horror, it, be it whatever. So, you know, but I understand where he's coming from. Like, yeah, if you look at it as that, a lot of horror is like the joke with us is how many Lovecraftian or Lovecraft films <laughs> just you you see the box art and I dread it. Like I go, oh, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, what is that? And 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 that's the thing. That's where the stagnant the stagnation comes from it's like lazy like you know always be like the same girl on the cover mm-hmm. and you'll see her on like seven different covers yeah of, of a movie you'll go wait is that the movie i was about to, like oh no that's and you just photoshop it or it's a girl on the cover that's not in the movie at all mm-hmm. and and that's kind of to me that i agree with like that's the director video or now director streaming market is like stagnant like that's just a dreadful place, you know, like I remember working at Blockbuster and I would just see like all these movies coming and go oof. And just because they had one star in it, like, like a Malcolm McDowell, which is <laughs> like for a paycheck, you know, mm-hmm. or like, or funny enough, like a Rutger Howard, which we'll talk about on another episode, just come in for a paycheck, but you know, give it a little gravitas, so to speak. And then the rest of just actors they either found in like Canada or Romania. Um, you go, okay. This is trash, but, you know, I, I knew what I was getting into. It wasn't like something big budget. You knew, like, oh, this movie was like a tax write-off somehow.
0: Yeah, I... Ugh, many thoughts to <laughs> what you just said. Because, I mean, once again, I mostly agree with what he's saying. I mean, the idea yeah. of disposable characters you don't care about Ebert was complaining about that in the '80s with the rise of the slasher genre and just how you see you see a Friday the Thirteenth movie not because you care about the people involved you want to see how they're going to get killed. Um, yeah, a, and yeah. yes, misogyny has been a, oh, a a significant factor in horror films, but I think you also have to be honest and say for the history of cinema that's been the case you can make an argument that it's a bit more uh, sharp, pardon the 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 mm. no pun intended, um, in horror because of Horror is based around people being victimized and often slaughtered in brutal ways. So when they are disposable women, it's, it's you know, it sort of contributes to that, that pervasive culture of objectification um, right. and stagnation. Sure. Especially, I mean, I don't know how from how long ago these, these comments that he made them, mm-hmm. but especially now in the pandemic where every streaming service is pumping out anything they can get their hands on because they know people are staying at home. Yeah. Sure, I, I get that, and horror might be especially guilty of it, because in no other genre can you really do, uh, I don't want to say it's guaranteed, but there's more of a likelihood of a cheap investment making its money back and more, because, I mean, look at the uh, the first Saw movie, which I really like, uh, you mm-hmm. know, a very low-budget film that uh, was mostly a, a bunch of guys in a single room, yep. and it blew up, and that's just kind of um, typifying of the promise that, that, that horror has, and I guess, and you hit on it, but then don't be this guy to say, "Here's." he even uses the word cure, random acts of violence is a cure to that, and then have your film be guilty of all those same things. Now, editor's uh, disclaimer here, James, I don't know if you've seen it, I have not yet watched it.
1: No, I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I'm not going to say, like, yes, it, it's completely what people are saying we're just going by what we've read from friends and, and other like you said horror Twitter but then I've also seen like good reviews about it like saying hey th- that was that was a good ride and, like not not really trashing him mm-hmm. like so to speak so you know I think at one point we'll have to come back to this another time like and just when we watch the movie ourselves and say was that really good, or was it like the same thing we've seen a hundred times?
0: Right. And i I mean it's it's streaming on Shudder, which that's people have yes. highlighted the irony of that of being so critical of a, a horror of the horror genre, and yet your movie is only available through the horror streaming service. Yes. Um, I can't say I blame Shudder for doing that. They're just no. they're they're capitalizing on on hype and press, and I get that, and I don't begrudge them for that. I do wonder, I mean, even looking at IMDB right now. Random Acts of Violence, and how much of this is pushback? Only 5.1 out of 10 stars, and a 38 uh, f- uh, from Metacritic.com, which is not very good. Um, so how much of that is people just kind of pushing back and grading on a curve because they're so angry at what he said? But at the same time, um, I I know, I'm curious to see it. Yeah. I'm, a- I'm a little skeptical just because... Jay Baruchel has these comments, which seem like they're very progressive, and yet his movie, hockey, his hockey movie Goon, is kind of a a comedic celebration of an enforcer type, which I think is a a more, let's say, conservative mode, and and a a a model that I think should be pushed out of hockey too improve the game so i i, I don't know I, I i guess i carry my own kind of baggage to it just like how many people have probably read stuff on twitter or read it and just and now they're coming into this movie and be like well i'm gonna tear the shit out of this thing and not even kind of give it a, a fair shake
1: yeah that, that's the problem with twitter too um the uh mob mentality that happens mm-hmm. if either someone says something that you might not agree with and like me like i read that i go i went i went okay like that's it like we're talking about this cuz it's actually an interesting thing to talk about, but I don't, you know, I don't like to pile on, you know, like, oh, I don't agree with this, so he's a piece of shit, like I'm going to yeah. cancel anything he's. I like the guy. Like I've liked his films and like you said the thing with Goon and then, actually, it actually was... funny enough there's two Goon films, which is insane to me. Like this. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, growing up, that was like, you know, the thing that I liked about hockey was like ooh, the fights mm-hmm. but the older i get i'm like no don't there's no fucking place for that like come on <laughs> yeah. like and it's almost like nowadays when i see a fight happen it almost feels like like it's it's just like oh that's that's what people want to see every so often so let's let's same thing with baseball when the, oh let's get out of the and let's all brawl mm-hmm. it's like no like you all look like idiots you look like fucking children yeah. That you, you can't get your way, or, oh, you, you stepped on my foot, or you, oh, you hacked me. Like, I understand if, you know, like in hockey, like, you know, at this time, you'll see a player being a real piece of shit. Like, just, like, trying to get any little jab in and stuff. You know, after a while, it's just the, the adrenaline pumps, and they're like, I'm going to brawl with you. So it's kind of funny, like, you know, when I think of Goon, I don't think of, like, it being – um trying to think of a word like female centric because it's not it's <laughs> very it's very just masculine like testosterone
0: driven sort of thing driven.
1: yeah and i mean that's the point i mean you know like i understand and i enjoyed it like it was a fun ride you know sean william scott doesn't get enough credit you know like yeah. as like a fun like like outside of the american pie movies he's actually a good actor like you know and leif shriver you know is great yeah. as the old timer that's that big freaking handlebar mustache and he's, <laughs> he's it's like, he should be more brain damaged than he is already. But yeah, it's weird for like someone like him saying that, but like, it's a comedy about violence and then you're making like, you know, saying it's like horror film. That's about violence. It's, it's like called random acts of violence, which I think, I think he's like talk. I mean, from what I've gathered in an interview that I read, he basically said, you should be more afraid of America than you already are. And remember, he's Canadian, so of course he's looking from, yeah. from a different point of view. But I agree with that 100%. America <laughs> is, is a scary place right now. So it's like, yeah, I see where you go with that. So I, I'm going to have to watch this movie. I have to. The hype, and I usually don't buy into the hype of any sort, be it negative or positive. But I have to now, because it's like, I need to make my own decision and say, yeah. Yeah. is he just doing the tropes, or... Because then another review I saw, like, kind of not trashing it, but kind of saying they weren't, like, 100% because it was too meta. And I went, huh, okay. So, and to me, a lot of times when something's more meta, like, uh, like a, like a especially in the world of horror, like Scream or something like that, mm-hmm. that's from a place of, like, horror love. Like, that oh, you're yeah. trying yeah. to twist the tropes and kind of poking fun at it and, like, going, like, oh, you know, like, the the person you think is going to be the final girl, she's killed, mm-hmm. and then it's actually this, you know, girl that like, like sometimes like that's that impresses me when it's like the um, quote unquote slut of the of the film, you know, like that, you know, be it a guy or a girl, the one that's just sleeping around and they survive, and you know, mm-hmm. oh, okay, the, you, you threw that trope out the window where only the the ones that are having sex are getting killed, the ones doing drugs are getting killed. and to kind of pick you back with the uh, slasher thing it's true 99 percent of the time people are watching slasher films to see the slasher kill these young people in the most brutal horrific ways or like <laughs> whatever way but to me the best slasher films are the ones that actually give you characters that you do care about mm-hmm. and that's like and and it's very hard to find like a lot of time but something like my bloody valentine the original which i know you weren't like the biggest fan of but yeah. but i can't like it's what i always forget the guy's name but the big the, the kind of the leader of the group but he's not even the main character but the big the big guy with like the, the handlebar mustache yeah that's yeah like, kind of like always oh, like, come on guys let's i'm like i'm so sad when he dies because he dies like horribly like it's just so slow and painful and like he's trying to still fight back but he, yeah. the nail gun and yeah. you like mm-hmm. and and but you know what i mean so it's some, it's a character that you actually like or like even like some of the the routine films like the fourth one you know the final the final chapter which in horror movies <laughs> yeah. means is six more to go mm-hmm. um i like most of those characters in it so when they all die like you know that's the one with crispin glover you know yes like you know i'm a dead fuck you know and all this stuff but I'm, like, sad when each one dies because you're, like – these people, like, for the most part, you know, there's, there's one or two that are, like, eh, I don't care. You're kind of a dick. You're kind of, like – but those are the ones when you have these, like, sweet characters that do get killed and you're, like, oh, shit. Like, I didn't see that coming. Like, or please don't kill – maybe that person go and then they die and you're, like, oh, man, that's that's awful. Like, <laughs> shit. You know, and, and so I kind of, like – I always laugh when I – and, you know, I loved. You know, um, Siskel and Eva growing up, but when I watch the slasher movie reviews now, I kind of laugh because they only talk about the women getting killed, but guys are getting killed too. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, like, like I think it's Friday 18, Part th- it's either Two or Three. It might be Three, where the the wheelchair guy gets the hatchet right to the face. Oh, that's a two. It's part two. It's two. Okay. Yeah. And he's he's about to like actually maybe get like you know like get with the girl, and you're mm-hmm. like, oh man. This guy's sweet and like oh you know killed yeah down the stairs dead and you're yep. like oh my god like jason doesn't give a shit like he doesn't care if you're good or bad like <laughs> you're you're in his territory like michael myers what's his motivation well it changes from the film to film yeah freddie krueger is like to me the most consistent freddie's like i just want to kill kids you know like the mm-hmm. young you know younger the better oh okay you're you're an awful person but I mean I kind of just like hate that mentality of like people just getting killed for sadistic reasons like that's why we watch it like oh you know I want to see people die that's not always true like I I actually want to see something you know when someone's despicable, I I hope they die so I get really pissed with horror films when the piece of shit gets away you know Mm -hmm. like to give you an example like the newest Halloween did you see the, the David Gordon oh, Green? Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the boyfriend that like cheats on the girl, you know, the girl, The he doesn't get killed in it. Yeah. he, he Like he's an afterthought. So I was pissed. I'm like, that guy should have died like in <laughs> the horror movie tropes. But I kind of have faith that maybe they'll actually give him a, re- like because they're making two more films, maybe they'll have a, uh, you know, a redemption arc where he's, he learned error who knows but you know i kind of like have faith in that maybe they'll change that trope and like oh no he you know he made a mistake and he's trying to atone for it that'll be cool like like thing to throw into a horror film especially in a franchise that are sequelized like oh here's a character that's returning he was a shit, piece of shit in this one now he's trying to help now he's actually trying to be a better person quote unquote you know but
0: well, unfortunately, we, we won't know until uh, next October, because, uh, uh, of course, uh. the pandemic has delayed everything. I, I think I think when it comes to uh, Halloween Kills, which was the name of the sequel, um, yeah. it was done, but they just want it to put out in, in, in an environment where people can go to a theater and watch it. So the production wasn't delayed, but they just want to make sure that people are safe when going to see their movies. And there's probably a little bit of they want to make as much money as they can on it, which I also kind of understand. but. Um, yeah you know i i don't my wife and i go back and forth as to whether we want to put ourselves at risk to see tenet so it's good that there's one less film that is contributing to that uh that conundrum
1: yeah i'll i'll give you my thing with that i'm not seeing a movie until probably next year in the theater yeah you know, it's uh, it's and i uh, hate saying that cuz i'm a th- i love going to the movie theaters
0: not just that, but like, dude, I I feel I mean I do I do my my top ten for Battleship Retention every year, yes. and I just feel like I'm so out of the conversation as to what is happening in film now, and it's like I want to get back into it. But
1: what is getting I don't even know what's going on in film. Like I I see ads for like films that you would never see ads for for VOD. Oh yeah, that are popping up like like there's some one film I keep seeing pop up with like Mick Jagger, like the Orange Heresy or I don't I'm like no, this film would. That. Ne- and I'm like, this film would never like have been advertised as hard as it is right now, but because it has like Mick Jagger and Donald Sutherland in it, you're like, okay, I'll, I'll pay five bucks for that. I'm
0: seeing, you know, um, most most ads I'm seeing are for Bill and Ted Face the Music, which we will get around to eventually. Yes. Um, and then uh, since I since I watch a lot of AMC, uh, The Beach House, they're pushing that one hard for Shutter the Beach House. Um, and so I'll probably get around to that one eventually, but speaking of getting around to things eventually, we do have a lot to talk about when it comes to, um, lurking fear, but as I am, uh, always want to do a little bit of background on the short story before we get into the discussion of the adaptation. And I do say a little, not a whole lot about this one. The story was written in November, 1922 and, uh, published in a similar manner to Herbert West reanimator. It was done in a serial fashion in the magazine homebrew from, uh, January to April, 1923. The editor uh, George Julian uh, Hotein, specifically commissioned it to be serial, so you you know if you're reading it, there are those four I believe it's four or five parts that that was done on purpose. Um, and in E. F. and uh, Richard Blyler's book Science Fiction: in The Early Years, the story is described as quote digressive and clumsily written, perhaps because it was written for serial publication, but it's not very well. Remembered. It's not hated either, but I, I texted you. I think after I was done, that like this is kind of one of the most generic horror stories that Lovecraft has written. Like, there are that, yeah. there are elements of his style in there, but um, this was something that, especially for a lot of like even more well known writers, such as um, I don't want to say necessarily Hawthorne, but other American writers like when they were paid specifically by commission, like per word count, uh, specifically the quality kind of suffered because they were kind of getting away from their own style, just kind of doing something basically for the paycheck. And this one kind of, it feels like a paycheck um, story, which it's not bad, but it's also not like I, I described it to my wife as sort of like someone writing Lovecraft fan fiction, basically.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's not top tier, but it's not the bottom of the barrel either. It's kind of middling.
0: Yeah. It's, it's like, okay, there, there's some cool moments, like especially the moment when he, You know, the three of them are in the house at the beginning. He's falling asleep and he wakes up and he still feels the arm across him. So he thinks the guy is still sleeping next to him, but then realizes, wait, these two guys are fucking dead. What arm was draped across me in the middle of the night? Like, that's a cool moment that could have been translated to something. And especially then, like, there's the lightning crack and he sees that, like, what it really was. Like, oh, oh, God, that's really kind of cool. But then, you know... Not not much else to kind of keep you engaged as to why are we still interested in the story and why are we in, uh, interested in, in, in the ultimate reveal. Um, when it comes to the adaptation, um, this was uh, produced by um, Full Moon. Uh, it was originally set up for Stuart Gordon um, at uh, yeah. producer Charles Band's Empire Pictures. And um, listen, I've I've uh, I've aired my grievances uh, of. Stuart gordon being the kind of arbiter of lovecraft adaptations but <laughs> this in my mind james and i divulge a little bit about the or, or diverge a bit yes. about this i think that would have been an improvement because for me this movie makes zero fucking sense and is for me up there with cool air albert pion's cool air is one of the worst adaptations we've ever covered on this podcast
1: i will say i like it more than cool air <laughs> I, I i will i will go far as to say that um I'll, I'll be the defender of this film, but I'm not going to, like, defend it to the death. It's more like, a, I had fun with it. Like, but that's about it. But, <laughs> okay, so there's a lot of stuff we have to go into, but it's funny that, like, not only is Herbert West himself <laughs> Jeffrey Combson, which, which won't, it, it wasn't the first time. This is, like, what, the fifth time he's been on our show now? <laughs> we We have to get him on here at some point. We do, we do, but... It won't be the last either, because there's a lot more with him in it. (laughs) If Lovecraft's name is there, I'll do it. Um, But here's the other funny thing: Ashley Lawrence is in it. Yeah, Hellraiser. Hellraiser, Yeah. But why is she credited as Ashley Lauren? (laughs) Like, like, because at first, you know, in the beginning of this film, I see her right away with her like glasses, you know, and um, and she's supposed to be very timid, Mm -hmm. and of course the transformation later on, but. I'm like, that's that's Ashley Lawrence. Like, that has to be. And I didn't look at the IMDb page. I, didn't, I was like, let me just watch it. And then I'm going to get into something funny about watching it on the Full Moon um, app, which I, <laughs> of course, I subscribe to. Of course. Um, you know, for all those great movies. Um, but then all of a sudden the credits come up and, you know, like, oh, okay, there's, you know, John Finch, which we'll get into him. Um. <laughs> I, I, I love your thing. Who the fuck is he? <laughs> and I was going to jump in there. I'm like, well, he was Macbeth once. Not to say that's like. You how, know, how
0: the mighty have fallen. You won't, You go from seriously. Macbeth, and your downward trajectory is eventually to start in lurking fear.
1: Lurking fear, and you weren't even the first choice. And, like, he wasn't, like, David Hemmings was the first choice. Yeah. He was a great actor, too. And
0: but. I looked it up because the IMDb trivia says that they wanted to cast him, but then he had had a film which was pretty successful, so they didn't want to put C. Courtney Joyner in a position where an actor would not be listening to a director, he thought, beneath him. And then, But then I looked at his resume, and like, what fucking movie were they talking about that was so successful?
1: I don't know, because, like, a film that he directed, David Hemmings, and then, John like, John Finch, will, well, he's British... He's got some, you know, like... I think even Christopher Lee was also, I think, up for that role. Yeah, which would have been the, a completely the, different... But he, he was too expensive. <laughs> because this but, is... Of course it was. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing with this film. How much do you think this film costs to make? I, Seriously. I, I, yeah,
0: I thought about that because especially... The right. dispute over the film's budget led to, yes. you know... Full Moon being cut off from Paramount. And Paramount have produced a lot of Full Moon stuff... Starting with the original Puppet Master... So, like, what, yeah,
1: I mean, I. So, this That's was. That's the thing th- I'm so confused about. Like, what? How? Because it also was filmed in Romania with the castle and, you know, with all that stuff. Where, like, Charles Band has done many films because I think ultimately, I don't know if this was around the same time or during that he owned a castle <laughs> there himself. <laughs> like, where he made all, like, the subspecies movies with, like, the vampire stuff. So, it's like how much did this movie like cost or was Charles band doing a Charles band thing and saying it cost a million dollars, but he really was only costing $250,000 and he was skimming that money from Paramount and Paramount went, wait a second, come on.
0: That's, that's what I wonder because yeah, I mean, so this was 1994. So a dollar uh, was different than it is now, but if you told me, this film cost even a million dollars. I'd be like, that seems that seems like too much because for the most part, none of the actors in here are anybody. I mean, Ashley Lawrence, I suppose, as as you know, from some notoriety. But also, you're not gonna yeah. you're not gonna hang a movie on her, nor are you gonna hang a movie on Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. And largely, one location. It's mostly kind of the church and around it, so you you can kind of build a set and have a location for that. But then also. The effects budget was so minimal. I mean, oh. how bad was it when they, when that, first, when, um when, what's his name, John? No. Well, whoever the main character is supposed to be. Um, oh, who,
1: um, yeah, the, the the pretty boy? Yeah,
0: who's the Martense in in the story. Um, yeah. When he first gets dragged down through the coffin, like, and the, he's got the corpse of apparently his grandmother, and it's very clear, like, this is probably like a $13 you know, party city mannequin that they bought to stuff. Like, and it's it's so clearly, everything is so clearly badly cheap.
1: Yeah, that, that it, it was John, John Martens. Yeah, okay. Uh, by B- Blake Adams, um, who, I knew that guy from another, another um, fantastic full moon film, Head of the Family, <laughs> that he did three years later. Yeah, that's, I, I'd rather watch that movie, but yeah, like, um, I have to, like, like, you, you, you know, you wrote in the notes and you also messaged me about the acting in this. And, um, look, I love, I, I love Jeffrey Combs. Like, mm-hmm. I love him. I love Ashley Lawrence. And I have to say, Ashley Lawrence is Lisa's trying. And yeah. She's trying to like convey, like, I'm trying to be badass. I'm trying to like fight this which is just funny because like then you know it's funny that we're doing two movies they have two movies in a row about the same story and she was in the other cool air adaptation, Chill. Yeah. <laughs> she was a lover. so it's funny funny that she popped up now twice. Um but yeah, like Jeffrey Combs, like, I don't even know what he's going for in this. Like he's like the drunk doctor, but he's like in love with Ashley Lawrence. But like, I, I don't know, it's, weird. it's very weird, but, and then, like, John Finch, who, like, I don't know, like, what he's doing, and then the ADR, and that's something we just kept joking about, the ADR is some of the fucking worst, like, to the point where, yeah, I understand, you couldn't get the actor back, mm-hmm. that's fine, and, at, and I read that part, I read that, you know, Oh, John Finch especially, couldn't get him back, so they had to, you know, dub him. But that dubbing doesn't sound anything like him, not even remotely to the point where I happen to look away for one second. I hear a voice. I'm like, wait, who's that character? Wait, that's <laughs> supposed to be John Finch. I'm like, wow, they, they just got someone to do a really bad British accent.
0: Well, and and here's, okay, yeah, because I, I, jo- I joked to you, this may be the first film I've ever watched, which was entirely ADR'd, which is maybe a little bit unfair. It seems like that's actually Jeffrey Combs' voice that we're hearing, but everyone, everyone just sounds like, I mean, what, were you filming this with, like, in a studio where there was horrendous air conditioning noise? Could like, be- you couldn't, like, everything sounds so bad, and it's funny to me that uh, apparently John Finch was a nightmare to work with, because, like, yeah... <laughs> Who the fuck are you, John Finch? That you're going to be this ego on this low-budget horror film and, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I wrote that this film is a masterclass in poor writing, poor writing and direction, and just, look, like, it's it's one thing to kind of nitpick or not even nitpick, but just kind of check off like, oh, I'm going to complain about the performances. I'm going to complain about the budget. I'm going to complain, but like, there is no, in my mind, coherency to right. the direction or to a, a narrative flow in the story. Like, it starts out, the premise is, I don't want to say interesting, but I can see what they're going with. So there's a guy with a criminal history who gets released from jail and wants to kind of go back home uh, to to kind of not settle, but cash in on his dad's, like, one final criminal score, which was stashing money in, in a corpse. Now, of course, that attracts a criminal element because there are unresolved issues between you know, him and dear old dad and, and this criminal element, but then also he's returning to a town which is already dealing with its own bad history and paranormal kind of ending. And so you kind of have the setup of a human element a, uh, or a human conflict and a supernatural conflict are going to come to a head, and yet it's it's handled so poorly because there's not enough importance or stake given to or explanation given to what is happening in this town with these underground creatures, and there's also not enough reason for us to care about this guy and why we should be interested in his success, because C Courtney Joyner can't craft a coherent sequence in the sense of where is this happening? Um, what are the spatial dimensions, but also why why do we care about anyone? Because everyone just seems to hate each other, with the exception of Dr. Marlowe, or I'm sorry, not Dr. Marlowe, Dr. Haggis. Right, right. Played by Combs. Um, who does seem to have some type of an attraction or some type of care. I was actually a little bit, a tiny bit reminded of um, Stephen Dorff's uh, doctor from Deadwood in the sense of, like, you know, he's he's kind of an alcoholic and he's mostly a good guy, but he's also, but he's not fully a good guy. Like, he's got his own kind of flaws as well. Um, but the all the criminal element seems to hate each other. They all hate these people. These people are all angry with each other. And it's just, like, I don't, like, why... Why should I care about anyone's success in this story? Just because you have a script and you're pointing a camera and depicting what's happening on the page, doesn't mean it's interesting or worth engaging in.
1: Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, and, and it's sad because, like, while I enjoyed it for like how bad it was, it's like I agree with you. Like, like I have like some friends of mine actually really like enjoy this film like like actually think it's like well made of which i'm like what i can understand the budgetary limitations sure. like that that joiner had to go through because if if anyone's ever read or like spoken to people that have worked with charles band he will give you as little money as possible. he's kind of like roger corman in a way mm-hmm. but but you know but basically make it or fake it <laughs> yeah and that's the thing like this movie, it's like kind of like it's it's horribly edited because you know, oh. it's like goes from one thing to another. That's like true. It's just, you know, it's just like what's going on. And, you know, I'm all for like bad looking monsters. But every time the monsters came on screen, mm-hmm. I just couldn't stop laughing. Like the, the <laughs> white eyes and like I knew what they were going for. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the underground that the, the light would hurt them. But they just look so comical, and especially when they would speak. Like that main one would speak like oh my god i I can't even replicate that voice because i was just laughing like what the hell is but i have to say the funniest moment in this movie like the one that just made me like just laugh so hard was when spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen lurking fear (laughs) when jeffrey combs you know doctor gets basically like you know ripped apart Mm -hmm. but not not he's not dead yet he's like telling um ashley lawrence's character to like you know Go, go, uh, uh, and he's like holding the gun, and then he's just like, "I'm I'm thinking, okay, he's he's gonna try to like shoot something or won't." And he just like plops down, and it's like, "Oh, that's when the check cleared." And he's like, "Okay, (laughs) bye. I'm going. I'm going back to the U.S. See Mm. you later." Or, or, or soon after he filmed Castle Freak there with Stuart Gordon, because I think it's the same friggin' like the same building. Which when we watch Castle Freak down the line, you'll, you'll you'll probably be like, oh yeah, that does look like the same castle. <laughs> that movie at least looks a little more. But that's again, I think Stuart Gordon got the bigger budgets, mm-hmm. even though it's still low. But it, I mean, you know, yeah, the budget's limited. And then also, one of my favorite character actors is the uh, the uh, mortician, uh, Vincent Shiyavali.
0: Oh yeah, 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 yeah.
1: I, I love I love that guy. He he's great in it. But he's one of those actors that's he's always just like fun. You're like, and this guy's just like a piece of shit. Like, and then we find out what he's been putting in bodies. Like, Mm -hmm. Hey, you're worth more dead than when you're alive. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's a film I wish I was watching with my girlfriend because her being a funeral director and doing, you know, like setting bodies and stuff. I told her about the makeup job and she started laughing. She goes, yeah, I would not fly (laughs) with me. Like, no, (laughs) it would not. He looked like a fucking clown, but that's yeah. the point, you know.
0: Yeah, it's I don't know because I'm I'm trying to think of what what sequence or 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 scene <laughs> no. is most endemic of, because it seems it seems very clearly like by all accounts Charles Band is not a, a good or easy person to work with, so yes. if you're a first time feature director like I believe this was C Courtney Joyner's very first feature that he ever made. I think um, so, yeah. A young, inexperienced guy working with a real shitty producer who is really tight with the purse strings, this is gonna be a, a creative challenge and Yes Joyner does not does not even even fulfill expectations of that of a low bar, basically. So I mean, we have stuff like we never really get a sense of, of, of an outside perspective of what this church looks like. We know there's kind of this main sanctuary where is this there where's the tunnel that they're they've Boarded up, but then there's the cemetery. Uh, yeah, but then there's some there's some portion where it almost looks like a back hallway that w- where Pierce is pulled yeah. through near the end. But then there's also kind of a, a a a a back room where the priest confronts one of these creatures, and there's this weird religious theological discussion about like this priest who wants to sacrifice himself. But then, and from what I understand after the, from what I remember after that conversation he has with the creature, we never see the priest again, or we don't even know what happens to him.
1: No, the priest does get killed. The priest gets his heart pulled out okay. by, by the main, the main white eyed, uh, family member or whatever.
0: Okay. Yeah. The, the one that's like, you know, who has a dialogue of like, and you called me Satan. I'm just like, what, what is the significance of this?
1: Yeah. Well, it's also like from from like from again, we're trying. I'm trying to like you know piece this together. From what I gather, the priest has always had this weird relationship with them, with this the under underground dwelling creatures. Because even like um, Jeffrey Combs' doctor says something to him like, "Oh, um, you should know, Father." Like like he says something that you're like, oh, "Okay, there's more to it." They don't, of course go into that except for when the priest is looking there's the one part when the priest looks into like the you know he knows what's inside like that box or you know like beyond the wall or beyond the floor wherever the hell yeah yeah it's beyond the floor he's he knows it's right there but then like you said yeah then all of a sudden he's like the creatures up there like just talk to him like what's up like, yeah
0: well well and, and that that's kind of that that's speaks to what my biggest problem with this movie is that it takes everything for granted or, or takes right. it all as a given in the sense of yeah, the background of where these creatures come from, their significance. It's fleshed out a little bit, but when when Martens, when John Martens shows up to the scene, all this stuff is already happening, so we don't really have a moment to kind of acclimate ourselves and be like, okay, what's going on and why should I care before everything just starts happening? So it assumes that you immediately kind of care about... These people fighting off these creatures, um, these underground tunnels. Which even the tunnels are just kind of there as set dressing. Their significance is not explained as to like how these things are popping up all over the place and allowing these things to kind of have um, an underground, a literal underground network to steal, let's say, the baby at the beginning. Um, or to kind of pop up in the middle of, of this church, which, why is it pop up in the middle of the church? I'm not really sure, I guess, because that's the set that they had to work with. But there's also a weird, when I talk about spatial dimensions and just kind of uh, a cinematic language, that first scene when Martens is, like, kind of sucked underground through the mm-hmm. grave, he's he's kind of pulled in through this tunnel, which is kind of person-shaped, you know, uh, small enough right. so that a person could fit through it. Um but then when he's escaping from that creature runs to this tunnel which is apparently the size of a fucking mine shaft which is so yes. huge and just like okay but where is this and where does this tunnel lead to and there's just no there's no sense of of spatial coherency because it's all just done because i mean i'm sorry i'm going to i'm going to keep rolling on this rant here for a little bit later on in the film there's a long fight sequence not long it feels like it goes on for forever between um, Ashley Lawrence's character and, um, what is the blonde woman's name? Uh, Miss Marlowe.
1: Miss Marlowe. I know Allison Mackey is the, yeah. the actress. I know her, yeah.
0: Um, and yeah. it's clearly they didn't have a, a fight choreographer because it's like a sloppy, weird, messy fight. And not just because it's happening in the rain and the mud, but it's just kind of more wrestling and just kind of throwing around. And then yeah. there, there's a three-shot in which Ashley Lawrence gets the gun, we have Mrs. Marlowe who's lying on the ground, then we cut to Ashley Lauren pointing the gun at her, and then cut back to Miss Marlowe, who is now crouched and up leaning against a tombstone, and there's no there's no continuity in the editing whatsoever. And it just no. it doesn't make <laughs> any sense at all.
1: Not one not one bit.
0: In in talking about this and kind of contextualizing it, it it's more of a, a situation of this guy was kind of in over his head. It's yeah. not a, it's not a malicious thing, it's not a guy who is just a I mean, he's probably a bad filmmaker. Um but but possibly he, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also just that this was this was kind of doomed from the start because of the the, the pieces that, that the entire cast and crew had to work with.
1: Yeah, and the the comical thing with like you said, with like the the tunnel way and I, I, I especially loved like, you know, he gets pulled under, but he gets away and then all of a sudden he's underneath the church and he like 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 Superman just punches through the floor <laughs> yep. And which I thought was the funniest thing. like he's like, oh like in slow motion. And it's like <laughs> and they're about to shoot him. Oh yeah, and then I, I want I want yeah. know I'm, I'm i want you to descri- to describe the uh the heavy—that's with uh, John Finch. Yeah, okay, because okay, so. I—I laughed because I read that and then I watched the film and I was like, "Holy shit, he's right."
0: <laughs> so yeah, the the criminal element is represented by John Finch as Bennett, who is uh, whoever is doing his ADR apparently was like, "How can I do a bad David Bowie impression?" Yes. Yeah. But but we have we have a ringleader in Bennett. We have I guess his femme fatale in Miss Marlowe. And then we have the muscle. We have a heavy, you know, the guy who, who's going to knock around people and, have, and carry the gun. <laughs> and I guess when they were casting for it, they put out a casting call. Hey, we need a heavy. We need someone who's big, intimidating. And they only had the budget for someone's suburban dad, basically. Because yeah. he's a tall guy. He's yeah. not intimidating. He's got a mustache. He wears a flannel shirt, from what I believe. Yeah, so um, and, and it's just kind of, this is the, the least intimidating person I can possibly, like, I was reminded of the guy that they cast as Matrix in Commando, was like, is this the best you could do for a villain, basically?
1: Bennett, yeah. Which, his name was Bennett.
0: Yeah, let off some steam, Bennett. Wow, there's the, yeah, there's wow. some. That's a <laughs> There's some weird, but it's it just like it's. <laughs> no, you're right. It's almost as though some, you know, some eight year old girl saw the ad and was like, "Dad, you did some acting back in college. You should apply for this role." And so he's like, "Yep, I'm gonna do it." And it's like, "Yeah, fine, okay, we can. It, it's fifty bucks a day. Can you do it? Cool.
1: Come on in." Yeah, yeah, okay. I got. Well, I mean, he also got a free trip to Romania. To Romania, yeah, apparently. <laughs> because that's the thing with a lot of these films. You you know you'll you'll have like a cast of you know like five to six people that either know them or character oh, i've seen that person before oh i know like even the priest i know him f- as a doctor from the Manitou, which is one of my favorite what the fuck movies but <laughs> that guy I-, I have no idea like what else he's been in like you know i'm looking he, he does basket, basket case two
0: he doesn't you know, even uh, have an imdb headshot like he's no. he, he's just like the twitter egg basically
1: yeah and okay so here's a question i want to ask you so the beginning of the film ashley lawrence is very timid, glasses, that's how you know she's timid. She wants to leave, you know, and this is also, by the way, guys, a Christmas horror film. I, both, I completely forgot about that. Because in the beginning, she wishes her Merry Christmas and a hug. <laughs> okay. And then at the end, you see a Christmas tree or a wreath or whatever. But, okay, so Ashley Lawrence with her sister, and the sister has a child, her baby. Mm-hmm. These creatures try to get the baby... They fight, you know, fight her off, and then the sister gets killed, gets pulled away. Yeah. Ashley Lawrence is holding his baby. What happens to the baby? Where's the fucking baby? Because it's not like it's twenty years later. It's, <laughs> it's five years, right? Yeah. Like, and she's still there, Ashley Lawrence. She's she's never left this town mm-hmm. since her sister died, right? Like, it's so like ah, eh, you know what? You're right. It it speaks to, eh. Who's going to remember the baby?
0: Well, and, and not just that, but telling instead of showing or just having things because they're expected to have things, or like I said, that they're just taken as a given. I, I mean, there right. are, as far as I can tell, at least three characters in this movie that are completely useless. They contribute nothing to the, the development of the narrative or even any kind of emotional engagement. We have, there's a pregnant lady later on who does basically nothing. Nothing. Uh, we have, I'm just going to call him Scarface, because he gets killed immediately when the the mob element shows up, where just gets shot by Bennett for no apparent reason, I guess, because John yeah. is standing behind him. Um, yeah. And if you think about it, Miss Marlowe doesn't really contribute anything either. There's no There's no reason why the criminal element that follows John home, and that terrorizes these people, it, it could have just been Bennett and Pierce. You didn't need Miss Marlowe, right. other than to just, I don't know, I guess make make eyes and sexual innuendos for the duration.
1: Yeah. Cause like when she's first introduced, she's flirting with Vincent Schiavalli, like about her husband that died. Oh, and he's being all pervy, but it's like, why? Like, couldn't, couldn't John Finch, you know, like just come in there. Like, you know what I mean? Like yeah. what stopped him from coming in there with the gun drawn and threatening him anyway? Mm-hmm. Like, like you're right. It, it's, it's just it again. It's a quote unquote trope of the femme fatale coming in like to be flirty and then like, ha! I have the gun on you too.
0: Yeah, and then
1: okay. get,
0: yeah, and then get exploded.
1: Uh, oh, late. that was funny. Yeah, it's like you you don't have the what is it? You have the guts to shoot me? You're right. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> and shoots the dynamite. I guess yeah, instead. Gotcha.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and it's so. I mean, the the lurking fear short story. Our protagonist or a narrator was not a member of the Martens family, but just was trying to explore and discover about the mystery of it. So this film changes our, I guess John is supposed to be our protagonist or our lead character, as a member of the Martens family to lay down some threads of, you know, I guess once again, that lineage identity of who you are, but it it does it so poorly. Like the, it, it, he makes him a more tense, but the film doesn't give us really a reason as to why or why this is significant because his identity has to be tied into these weird underground creatures. But the film does such a poor job handling them physically and, and intellectually, I suppose that it's like, why should we care about you, John at all? And then there's that closing voiceover where he's sort of like, I still don't know who I am kind of thing. Like, I'll, cool.
1: I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll always be cursed with that or something. I'm like, why you're a good-looking guy? You have nothing wrong with you, like, <laughs> and you and you're leaving with Ashley Lawrence, I think, right, or something. I, yeah, I don't I, know. It's
0: just the the film wants us to believe so badly that there is an arc, and there just isn't. It's as much as just kind of a series of random things that happen.
1: Yeah, and 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 that's actually funny because when we go when we talk about the next film and the next episode, it's kind of weird that they they focus on the character, or at least the main male character, as a family member of the Martens family. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird that both of them actually have that as a story thread. One does it better, which <laughs> we will discuss in the next episode. This one, it's like so superficial as to, oh, that's how you get from A to B, but you really didn't even need that. You Really, it's just A to B was, oh, my, my dad put money in a body mm-hmm. that's buried okay like did you need the defense fa- like because it's not like he looks like oh my god i'm one of them and like you know some weird twist or something it's like oh look at these fucking freaks and like i'm leaving bye <laughs> yeah. and then and then john finch trying to take the money off the body that's it's the most disgusting looking money ever <laughs> yeah. he's like pulling them off and i'm like just kill him already. Like, like, what, What's taking these things so long to kill John Finch's character? And then finally they do. But it just took so long. Like He's pulling the money off. I'm like, it, it almost like I wanted to put like, womp, womp. And like, <laughs> oh wait, i bought myself now. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah.
0: Because, <clears throat> I mean, now granted, I've never been part of the organized crime family of any no. kind, James. This may surprise you. But if I'm all of a sudden find myself... In an underground lair of a bunch of subterranean um humanoid creatures. I'm probably Chud's, not gonna, Chuds, if you
1: will. Chud's. Yeah, Chuds
0: is is an accurate description. I'm probably not going to be as concerned with getting a few dollar bills as much right. as I am oh, these things that have literally devoured some people that I have met tonight. Uh,
1: yeah, they devoured my, my... Suburban dad heavy.
0: <laughs> they, they pulled him out of a window and then threw them back in through the window.
1: which is very fucking yeah right It's like ah <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Is that the Jason move right there? That's yeah. Jason would do that. Jason's done that. Mm-hmm. it's like oh, here you go. gotcha. I, I think that,
0: I think now that you mention, I think I may have watched this on the same day that I was also casually watching in the background Friday the 13th part 8 Jason takes Manhattan uh-huh. and oh, yes. I think I would rather watch that again, which is saying something because
1: that's a very bad movie. Yeah, that's that's my least favorite of the of the Friday Teen films. And that's I, I I agree with that, though. I would rather watch that than than this film. Yeah, again, but uh, and OK, so uh, one little comical thing I want to tell you that because okay. because you were talking about like because when you watched it, did you watch it with subtitles you said? I did. Cause, was it a word? Yeah, because of the names and stuff. Yeah. So and I it's funny you say that because I like I said, I watched it on. The full moon app even though i had the dvd sealed from full moon they gave it as an extra freebie <laughs> when i signed up for the app okay which tells you something there um so i'm watching it and i didn't have to use the subtitles i was home by myself i'm like playing it loud enough but you would message me about the subtitles and i started laughing like, oh man that's funny with the names we'll, we'll get into that but so i'm watching it and then about 20 minutes to go to the film all of a sudden subtitles pop up didn't put them on okay but the subtitles were from the very beginning of the movie <laughs> with ashley lawrence and it's just, so it was really funny because all of a sudden i've seen like we got to protect the baby merry christmas i love you i'm like and i'm like what the fuck is going on and like it's going through and then all of a sudden during the climactic scene, all of a sudden it's like the Vincent Chiavali stuff about like with him like oh you know you're worth like what is – like wait how did this get screwed up like this like 20 minutes of subtitles that are just imprinted on this copy which yeah. shows you how much Charles Benn gives a shit.
0: Yeah, I I watched it on I believe uh, I watched it on Tubi. Tubi, okay. And that this is my first time watching anything on Tubi, so I'm not sure if this is inherent to Tubi or if it's the movie itself but tell me
1: i'm going to tell you something yeah yeah tell me
0: it seemed like there was something a little bit off with the subtitles because i know vincent Chiavali, he plays a character named uh nags k-n-a-g-g-s but i swear john kept calling him specs because of the the coke bottle glasses he was wearing and yet the subtitles kept calling him nags which like well I, i i guess i could have misheard that and then but then later on after our suburban muscle has been killed Bennett is giving him a little bit of a eulogy, and it sounded like he said he was good to goldfish, like kind of a joke as to what a sensitive soul he was. But then the subtitle said he was good to go fish. (laughs) So I don't, I like both, both of which are so weird and random. I can't tell if that was a if there was a disconnect there or if that's just how stupid the screenplay actually was.
1: Well, like because okay, so again talking about like he does say goldfish like he in in the actual movie like i heard that i i was laughing because it was just so like the most unenthusiastic eulogy ever <laughs> yeah. oh he loves his mother uh he's good to goldfish and and i'll, I'll give it
0: that's kind of humorous because you're yes. gonna you're gonna eulogize a guy that you really didn't give a shit about so you just mention all these generic banal things oh he was good to goldfish but then the subtitle said he was good to go fish. Do you do, do, do you mean he was good, like he was a good fishing companion, or he was good at the game Go Fish? Like, what what are you doing here?
1: But going back to the, the specs thing and Nags, mm-hmm. when the subtitles popped up, all of a sudden I saw Specs was like one of the subtitles. <laughs> what the so hell? So I was laughing because I saw what you wrote and I'm like, oh wait, it is specs. I'm glad I found out during the climax of the fucking film. <laughs> Thanks, Charles Band. It's just for that.
0: So little effort was put into the creation of this movie from top to bottom that it's just I, I mean Jeffrey Combs is you know, he he gives it his all for the most part. I won't say he's He's not bad in this movie, but he's also unlike a lot of movies he's in. He's not a highlight of it either. He just is kind of there.
1: Yeah, I agree. Like, he's not awful. Like, he's 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 good with what he's been given. Like, he's trying. He's like you know trying to show like a little like the emotion and stuff. But it's it's a very like it's it's a film that you know if I was him, I, I don't think he would ever put that like. It is top twenty film, <laughs> films he's done, let mm-hmm. alone probably top fifty. But yeah, um, yeah it, it's a forgettable role. Like, it, like really, it's, it's like it, like you you know, it's a forgettable movie. Like, I only remembered it because I was laughing so much with some of the things, writing as much stuff as I could down. Like, okay, got to talk about this. And then like when you had mentioned ADR stuff, I'm like, okay, good, because I thought I was the only one that noticed like his voice changed completely, like different. Like everyone else. Like you said, like it's their voices, they're matching as close, but you can always tell the difference between shot, you know, audio on the set and audio done afterwards. It always sounds yeah. mm-hmm. off. It's kind of like what I love about a, a lot of like '70s and '80s Italian films and and, and some span like a lot of Spanish films. They filmed it, and this might be a Charles Band thing. I'm I'm gonna start watching more like and going, wait a second. Is the ADR fucked up because I I know for a fact the Italians and the Spanish did it because it was cheaper to film without audio. Mm -hmm. Like if it's just you film with the video, you know, the the video, the tape or whatever way you filmed it, you did the audio afterwards because it was cheaper to do the audio after. They didn't have to put any mics anywhere. Mm -hmm. It's just, okay, film it. And especially with those films, 80% of the people were not speaking English. Yeah. So you would get the three actors that they got that spoke English to do the ADR for their roles. But then the other people usually would get like two or three actors that would do the 40 other roles. Yeah, <laughs> Just variations of the things. So I, I, I'm it, – it could quite possibly be that band was cutting costs anyway and they're going, you know what? Let's just make this – cheap. I mean we might be wrong. Maybe it wasn't as – much adr as we think but i i i doubt that i think it wasn't just john finch couldn't make it back (laughs) to re-record like audio which is just weird to me it's like some of it he couldn't record like like i don't know very weird
0: well and even thinking and even now that i'm thinking about the jeffrey combs thing i I think where where the 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 crime comes into play as to misusing him or miscasting him is if you're going to if he's not going to be the lead in the film like reanimator then putting put him in a role which still can push the narrative along or add some type of emotional impact or support to the other characters. So I mean we we complained and it, it's it's a uh, you know not a good movie but the one where he is a uh, uh, the Dunwich Horror adaptation where he is Wilbur Waitley. Yes. Um yes. you know at least okay but he's he moves the film along because of His influence over that family and what they have become because of him. In this one, you're gonna like the doctor is sort of is so kind of bland and innocuous. Make him either the uh, the mob boss, the criminal who's coming after uh, John Martens, or make him the priest to add some emotion and gravity to that role. But instead, you made him the doctor who's just kind of. Um, I, I mean, the only way that I can that I could find enjoyment in it was thinking like, oh, maybe this is a uh, where Herbert West after he escaped reanimator, and this is how he was trying to kind of lay low. But then of course he gets killed, so there's no way he could end up in a a, a New England prison um, reanimating <laughs> uh, uh, the corpses of, of dead prisoners.
1: Yeah, I reanimated penises and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <the> <gasps> I'd rather watch that right now, actually. Though, I, you know what? Just, just I, sad to say.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd rather I'd rather watch the silhouette of a reanimated penis battle with a, a, mouse, <laughs> a mouse. A Mouse or rat, whatever the fuck. <laughs> yeah, than, then, oh. then um, uh, uh, an aging priest have a theological debate with a uh, with some type of subterranean creature that a uh, yeah I don't know. Sh- share some type of spiritual connection. I don't know. This is. We, we've shit on on this movie enough. I think we can we can I think so uh, probably put it to rest. But um, yeah. Next, uh, so next time, of course, uh, as as we have said, we are continuing with um, adaptations of the lurking fear. So our next episode will be talking about uh, the film. It was originally entitled Bleeders. I believe it was released under the title of Hemoglobin in 1997. Yes. Um, uh, and that's not starring but co-starring Rutger Hauer. And and we'll. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll be a little bit more complimentary of that one. But even uh, before that, of course, we do uh, bi-weekly episodes. Even before we put that one out, we got another special episode, another interview episode coming out. Um, you may remember uh, our friends Thomas Campbell and Gav Chucky Steele. They uh, put us in touch with a filmmaker named BJ Verrott, who is um, uh, a Canadian Uh, writer, director, stuntman also, which is quite interesting, who has uh, made uh, a Lovecraftian short called Echoes in the Ice and uh, is coming out with his first feature called The Return. Um, I believe uh, in between this episode and the one on Bleeders he will be um, at a film festival presenting his stuff so we're going to talk to him about his influences, his work, and just kind of the film festival experience so that should be um, a, a pretty cool one to, uh, to listen and pay attention to. So, uh, we're giving you some, uh, some things to distract you in this, in this, uh, September of, to, to distract you, I guess, from the return to school and just, um, well, the hellscape, which is life.
1: Life right now, yes. <laughs> yeah, so. And, and we're living in a Lovecraftian story right now.
0: <sighs> Isn't that the truth?
1: The despair. <laughs> but,
0: yeah, um, but yeah, so that's, that's it for, um, Lurking Fear, uh, Next time we will be talking about Bleeders and also talking to B.J. Vareau. Uh, but in the meantime, we'll be waiting and dreaming with dead Cthulhu in his house in Relia.